You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated and welcome to 10 o'clock chapel. Those who are watching across the way, welcome to those who are watching online. And welcome friends and family here in the Life Center as well. Good to see you all. You know, Christians all over the world are celebrating Palm Sunday today. I mean, millions and millions of our family members around the globe today, different nations, different tribes, different tongues, they're recalling that Sunday where Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And it wasn't just that Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, he was walking toward his cross and thus moving toward our salvation. The, the pace of our salvation was quickening in that Palm Sunday and on that holy week. Closer and closer that the cross of Christ was on the horizon, which means our salvation, our rescue also was on the horizon. He was taking these steps toward his own execution. He was taking these steps because of his love for you, because of his love for me. So today, let's hear again what happened at the cross. Two things. One, what was accomplished? And secondly, how was it accomplished? What was accomplished at the cross? How was it accomplished? And we're going to be today uh, in the book of 1 Peter. So if you don't mind, going to the New Testament. The book of 1 Peter is seven books from the end of your Bible. It is right after James and oddly enough, right before 2 Peter. So let's go to 1 Peter together. And once you open up there, that's, this is what will be the remainder of the morning as we consider one more time what happened at the cross. What was accomplished and how was it accomplished? First Peter, let me just give you a little context. Historically, you might be interested in, or maybe not, but I'll give it to you anyway. Peter wrote this just 30 years after the cross. Peter is writing this letter just 30 years after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. 30 years is a, a short span of time. Now, for those of you in the room who are my age and older, 30 years ago seems like no time at all. Like 1991, wasn't that just like just a few years back? Now, for those of you who are college students and young adults, I know 1991 sounds like ancient history to you that we were, you know, around in, using covered wagons here in Waco back in 1991 to get to places and we were dodging dinosaurs on our way to school, right, as we walked uphill both ways. 1991 really wasn't that long ago, 30 years in, in the span of historical timeline was, was not that long ago. And so, so Peter, again, who was there at the cross, Peter who saw the resurrected Christ, Peter who's still having conversations with those who saw Jesus on the cross, see him taken off the cross fully dead, and then saw him fully resurrected three days later. It is those 30 years between the resurrection of Christ and the writing of this letter that the church was growing exponentially. The church was on fire. Christians were red hot for the gospel. People were going all in for Jesus. Pagan temples were being converted to churches, to houses of worship. Every week, thousands and thousands, especially of Jews, were, were turning to Jesus for life. And listen, this is really important for you to hear. The government was against them. The intellects were against them. The religious leaders were against them. The culture was against them. And yet this Christian church filled with young Christians was an ever-expanding, insuppressible, fired-up force. 
And being a Christian meant, and it still does today, that you're going to leave your old life behind and enter into a brand new life. It's in that context in which Peter writes, the context of Christian persecution and gospel explosion. First Peter chapter 1, let's start there in verse 18. It awkwardly starts in most of your translations, most of your Bibles in the middle of a sentence. Knowing. Let's stop right there. We did not get very far. Not a feeling. Peter says, here's something that we, we know. You and I, we're living in a culture right now, in a context right now, where we put a lot of value on, on feelings. In fact, even within Christianity, often, sadly, we trust our feelings more than we trust sure things. We may start a sentence off like, well, I don't really feel like God meant that, dot, dot, dot. I don't really feel like scripture, you know, speaks to my life, dot, dot, dot. Let me just say those are two very dangerous ways to begin sentences. When you go by what you feel more than what you know. So I always say to Highland today, we need to move our hearts and our minds away from fleeting feelings and build our lives instead on sure foundations. So Peter says here, I know this. Here's something that we know. This is certain. This is true. You can build your life on this. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Ransomed. Um, your Bible might use the word redeemed right there. It's a great word, uh, lutrao. Lutrao in, in Greek means that someone sinister has kidnapped you or you have been imprisoned by something sinister and someone has come to pay your ransom. Someone has come to, to free you from that prison, to free you from, from that kidnapper. And so that picture there, ransom or redeem, you have been kidnapped by someone sinister, imprisoned by something sinister, and then someone paid the ransom to rescue you. Someone paid the fee to free you. Free us from what? The scripture says here, the feudal ways. Feudal ways that we just kind of learned from our spiritual forefathers. That means baseless Traditions or dry regulations or cold religiosity or this need, we think, to have to perform, to do the right thing, to be accepted by God. The feudal ways were the old ways of living. And Peter comes and says, no, no, there's, there's a new way. You have now been freed up. That, that kidnapper of the old ways, there's now been a ransom paid for you. Because Christian, listen, Christian, do you know that you were once locked into your own stuckness that may not even be a word but stuckness like you could not move toward God you could not make any movement at all spiritually you were stuck there you were behind the bars of of, of the lifeless law you were imprisoned by your own sin before Jesus came in and paid for your rescue non-Christian do you know that you're still in your own stuckness Non-Christian, do you know that you are behind the bars of a lifeless law and that you're imprisoned to the penalty of your own sin? But here's good news for everyone who's not a believer in Christ today, listening or here in this room. Jesus is willing to pay your way out. Jesus pays ransoms. And Christian, God didn't just ransom us from little things here and little things there. He didn't just ransom us from, from fear or, or from addiction or from loneliness or, or from ignorance. He didn't just ransom us from, from pornography or, or low self-worth or prejudices. You can write this down. Jesus ransomed us to a whole new way of life. 
He paid for your freedom to live a brand new life. To live life in a brand new way. He ransomed us. He freed us. He paid the penalty. He paid the price. He paid for our rescue. He ransomed us. He redeemed us to a whole new way of life. Jesus did not come just to enhance the old way. He did not come just to tweak the old way. He did not come just to improve the old way of life. He came to replace the old way of life and give us a completely new, wonderfully new life. And the cost of this new life was extreme to God the Father and to God the Son. Let's see this in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed, you were redeemed, you were bought out from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, that cold religiosity, those dry regulations, just that baseless traditions that you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You know, everything that is man-made, no, no matter of how valuable it is, how high of value it might be, it cannot last if it was made by man. It always has an expiration date on it. We know this when we go grocery shopping. Because when we go grocery shopping, we pull things off the shelf and we turn around to see when does this thing expire? How, how long is this, is this good? Um, I especially see this at the grocery store when, it, when people stand in front of the milk door. And they open up the door and they start taking gallons of milk out to see which one will be expiring later that week or later in the week and a half. I've seen this. I've watched some of you at HCB before. Take the, the gallons out and they'll put it on the ground to try to get to the very back, thinking the very back one probably has a longer shelf life. And then they put back in those gallons of milk that expire soon for you to pick up or for me to pick up afterwards. I'm serious. I watched some of you on HCB. You have no idea. I'm always behind the egg counter. So just kind of, kind of look over there first. We're good at expiration days. We understand, like, we don't want something that's not going to last. We want the longest shelf value possible on this. Everything man-made will let us down. So you might want to write this down as we come into Holy Week. Our eternal soul cannot be purchased by non-eternal things. You see, this is the essence of the cross. This is the essence of Palm Sunday. It's the essence of Holy Week. Our eternal soul cannot be purchased by non-eternal things. And by the way, that's what you are. You're not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. And the only way that you can be redeemed, you can be paid for, you can be ransomed, you can be forgiven is with and through eternal things. So let me just ask you this pointed question. Have you been counting on non-eternal things to lift you up, to satisfy you, to catch you? Have you been leaning on or counting on non-eternal things to bring meaning to your life? Silver and gold and paychecks and, and wealth accumulation, that's where the West, that's where we find our security, our, our comfort, our, our hope. But you see, that security is not eternal because gold can't pay for your past. A silver can't pay for your shame. Paychecks can't pay for, for your sin. Wealth accumulation can't pay for your rebellion. So God is telling us here in this passage, I hope your Bible is still open. He's telling us here that this cold, passed down religion, the feudal ways, and perishable things like wealth or like shiny new objects or impressive possessions, they cannot give us the life that we are longing for. You see, everything man-made will let us down. Jesus will never let us down. So how are we saved? What currency paid for your rescue? 
non-Christian, what currency can pay for your rescue? We see it right here in verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ. That word precious, we, we have weakened that word. Gollum didn't, but we have weakened that word. Where we, have, we say that a, a child is, is precious, or that was a precious moment that we had. We have kind of lowered the dialed up nature of the word precious. Because really the word precious here in the original language means priceless. It means that there's nothing of, of higher value than this. And actually, if you want to drill down deep into this word, the word precious in Greek means that which should be honored above all else. You see, that's different than silver or gold. Because silver and gold, it does not always stay at a high value. It fluctuates. It goes up and down. You think the same about, about paychecks. Think the same about wealth accumulation. Watch the stock market as well. Things, things rise, things fall. But that's not what we see here. This is a precious gift that God has given us. It's a priceless gift that God has given us. It's the blood of Christ that has no higher value. It is that which is to be, to be honored at all times, at all costs. It's different than silver or gold. So here's what you need to know, note takers. God has delivered you the best salvation he can afford. You have been delivered with that which should be honored above all else, the blood of Christ. You have been ransomed. The, the, the payment, the fee for your freedom is the precious, priceless, no higher value than the precious blood of Christ. God has delivered us. He has saved us with the best salvation that he can afford. There is nothing greater that God could give. There's nothing greater that God could give. And here he is giving it to us freely. The God of heaven and earth, the manager of timelines past and timelines future, the king of the universe found the most priceless thing that he had, the most precious thing that he had, the blood of his son, and he bought you, he redeemed you, he saved you with that blood. So why is this blood so costly? Why is it priceless? Or as your Bible says probably, why is it precious? You ready for this answer? Because it came from perfection. Look at verse 19 again, but with the precious blood of Christ. Look at this perfection, like that of a lamb without blemish, without spot. You see, if there was sin in Christ, or a moral blemish on Christ, or a spot of rebellion in Christ, then that sacrifice would have been imperfect. It would have been incomplete. That, that payment, that ransom for us would have, been, it would have been cheap. It would have been powerless to free us, to, to pay for us, to rescue us. But you see, it was a perfect sacrifice by the perfect Son of God. We know this because God perfectly accepted it. It perfectly satisfied the justice and the holiness of God and the giving of this precious blood like a lamb without blemish or spot. Now that's kind of some overarching theology. That's, that's some kind of deep doctrine. I know some people come to church, don't give me doctrine, preacher God. Just tell me how I need to live my life on Monday morning. So here's Monday morning. You can speak to your past sin because of this blood. You can speak to your past failures because of this cross. You can speak to all of your past regrets, all of your past failures in this way. Here's what you can say to your sin. Christ paid for all of that. Sin, I owe you nothing. This is the preciousness of the blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish 
or spot. And so we come to the table today. We come to a time of communion, a time of the Lord's Supper, to remember this truth that God has provided for sinners the best salvation he can afford. What is communion? What, what is this all about? Why will we in a few moments hold bread and eat bread and hold a cup and drink from the cup? Well, here's what I want you to know. Communion is Jesus's way of saying, my love for you is this real. My love for you is this real. How real? His love for you is as real as a wooden cross. His love for you is as real as, as nails driven into his hands and to his feet. His love for you is as real as a road that went out the northern side of Jerusalem to a place called the Skull. His love for you is as real as a spear in his side, as a crown of thorns in his head. His love for you is as real as his final words. His love for you is as real as his final breath. That's how real God's love is for you through Christ Jesus. So communion is just this reminder. This is just Jesus saying, my heart is open for you. My life is open for you. Communion is Jesus' way of saying to us, even today, even in this place, even at this time, my love for you is so real. So would you take with me, please, the bread and the cup? And would you hold it in your hand? bow your head with me and let's just go into a time of silence stillness remembering together in this quiet moment the cost of our salvation that God paid the greatest gift gave the greatest gift that he could afford carefully pull back the tab that has the bread in it. If you'll take this bread and just hold this bread in your hand, either between your fingers and the palm of your hand, that you can feel that bread, touch that bread. Father, we remember together as your people, as your daughters and your sons, how real your love is for us, as real as a cross, as real as your body being torn open for us to enter into a new and living way. Your love for us is as real as the pain that you experienced final words it is finished your final breath Jesus we thank you for the reality of you on a cross Jesus the word says that you laid your life down by your own authority 
So as we hold this bread, we remember the costliness of that rescue, the weightiness of that ransom, that priceless gift you gave us. So church, if you would eat this bread in remembrance of Christ. If you would turn it over and carefully pull the tab, holding that cup firmly, open the tab for the juice. If you'd bow your head and bow your heart with me again, please. Father, as we hold this cup, it is a reminder, Lord, to, to our minds, to our hearts, even a reminder to the hand that holds this cup right now, how real, how genuine your love for us truly is. You laid your life down for us. You allowed your blood to be spilled, the most precious commodity in the universe, the greatest gift that God could afford of the highest value. God, your word tells, to, tells us without the spilling of blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. It's this crimson blood of Christ that washes us as white as snow. Your love for us is as real as that spear in your side. Is that thorny crown pressed into your skull. Your blood in the garden, your blood of the cross. Your blood that has paid the ransom for prisoners. Paid the fee for sinners. Your love for us is this real. Christian family, if you would drink in remembrance of Christ. In awe of the presence of God with us in this place, would you slowly come to your feet and let's stand together. Father, we stand in awe of you, of your gift. Jesus, we stand in awe of you, your body, your blood, broken for us, spilled for us. Spirit, we stand in awe of you that you have dwelt the sons and daughters of God. We remember the cross together today on, on this Palm Sunday with millions upon millions of our family members around the world. Jesus, not just recalling the entrance into Jerusalem, but that our salvation was on the horizon. Our rescue, the payment for all of our rebellion, all of our sin would be paid so that we could say, sin, you owe us nothing and we owe you nothing. Fully free, fully cleansed, fully forgiven. God, what an amazing, incredible, awesome God you are. praise you today for the cross. We remember the cross. Our hearts are soft before the cross today. We worship you. We 
thank you, we praise you. 